Can I say we'll give it up? Steven Chilton, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You are sixth generation Arizonan. Cattle, yeah. cattle ranching Arizonan. You were saying that, you know, your mom's side can can go back to the Mayflower. Oh no, my dad's side. Dad's side can. Yeah. Fascinating. I don't get to rap with people who have been here that long and we you know we've been in the music business for for a minute and i'm curious to eventually rap about you know how the music industry here has changed how you know moving from mill to to downtown phoenix and some of your memories but i like to start the podcast with just kind of early musical memories if if there was a record that really spoke to you well first of all hold on <laughs> you are you are uh, uh, a music uh, promoter. You're a talent buyer. You you have experience working with Stateside and Crescent, and you work at worked as a writer. Uh, you do a lot of things, and you've been a, a really crucial um, person in the local music scene. So thank you for your work. <laughs> but let's um. Let's go back. Let's maybe there's a, a show uh, that really inspired you or a record that really got you into music. Yeah, narrowing it down to like a thing, I don't know. Uh, yeah, as a real young kid, it was, you know, around the house was all, you know, fairly obvious things. Uh, I wouldn't, my parents listened to a lot of music, but I wouldn't say they were necessarily huge music fans. It was, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of Fleetwood Mac and Neil Diamond and, Beach Boys and my dad was a Roy Orbison fan and so it's definitely around but you know not in a particular way and then you know some of the first records I bought on my own uh Presidents of the United States of America yeah. they had it's on Peaches <laughs> that my dad always thought was hilarious because I was obsessed with that record and he would make fun of that song Peaches Moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat me a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. Peaches come from a can. When I really dove into was Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy, yeah. and it was all that era was all very you know early, early to mid nineties. Discovering yeah. music, you know, as a teenager, oh, man. was all very mainstream, very you know just what was around. Huh. And then kind of late nineties, really dove into punk rock and was you know discovered shows, going to shows, and you know had gone to a handful of shows and enjoyed it, but wasn't you know huge thing and then discovering punk rock being about 16 and like oh i can drive to the nile and it's 10 bucks or you know it's eight bucks or five bucks or whatever you know yeah punk to see a five dollar local show or something and, and they were all and, ages right and so, they were all ages and it was like oh wait and like pretty early on made like the observation realization it's like well if i want to go to this big concert and it costs 50 dollars and i'm gonna have to like save up or you know mm. it's a big ask or I can go to all these punk rock shows and I can go to a dozen of them and it's cheaper than going to a movie or something. And so really diving into 
all things sort of underground and really dove headfirst into, you know, really new music. And kind of for a long time after that, never went to anything mainstream or big, never really went to arena shows, didn't go, was never really into seeing classic acts or I always kind of felt like, well, I miss these acts when they were relevant. Why? I don't want to go see them now. Uh, and then now and later, later, much more expansive and go see this stuff. But they're like getting Jimmy world's first record. And I mean, their first record on a burn CD, like some of them went to the same high school. I, some of them had gone to the same high school I did. So like, uh, Tom's younger brother, Ed was in a bunch of my classes. So like I discovered them and they were just Ed's brother's band. You wow. know, this is, and then I remember clarity coming out and getting clarity and, or hearing, I was at a party, like high school party, we were like 15 or 16 or whatever, and cl- someone was playing Clarity. I'm like, oh, what's this? This is really cool. And they're like, oh, this is Jimmy World. And I was like, this isn't Jimmy World. I have their CD. Their CD's like crappy local band. This is amazing record. And they're like, no, this is the new record. Oh and my like, God. you know, and that was like right when Clarity had come out. So like that was a big local one, like realizing like it was the first time kind of watching something where I saw it. Y- you know, my connection to them was local and personal. Like I didn't even really you know, it was Ed's brother's band. I know. And then discovering like, Oh wait, this is great. And no one knows it. You know? Uh, I mean, you saw that band literally from infancy to huge rock stars. Yeah. Like, I mean, that was bleed American came out like right when I was a freshman in college, uh, kind of came out that summer between high school and college and watching, like watching them blow up from like, wait, I've been seeing them with 200 people in local shows to, huge and like clarity i also remember i was aware enough to realize that there was a reason why a lot of like the punk rock bands i was listening to weren't big you know it was like what was that you know listening to things like no effects or fugazi or seven seconds or you know just all that late lag wagon is like understood why those weren't it was underground it Mm -hmm. was aggressive it the records didn't sound great Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. they sounded I mean, awesome in a punk rock way, but like, there's a reason those bands weren't gigantic. And you just sort of know that that's the point. They mm. aren't gigantic. Mm-hmm. And then you listen to that, like, Clarity and some of the early emo stuff, and you go, how is this record not huge? Like, mm. what? Like, mm. I don't understand why everyone else doesn't get this, mm. you know? Mm. Like, that was one of the first records where it was just like, how are people hearing this and not, like, why isn't this band gigantic? And then, you know, an album later, watch it actually happen. <laughs> right, right. You know, one thing I do really love and respect. I'm not. I, I'm not. I don't subscribe to punk music. It's, there's something about it. It just doesn't speak to me. But one thing that I know about that scene is it's there's a very healthy DIY approach to all those shows. Totally. And usually, they're all ages, right? Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Especially at that time, you know. Um, like pop-up shows and, and it's that DIY where it was yeah. like, I mean, and that's how I got into going to shows was, you know, I was in high school and I went to a lot of small shows. I went mm-hmm. to local shows. I went to the Nile on a Tuesday to see a band I liked, yeah. you know, or whatever, and would go to lots of shows. And I very early on, like when I was 16, you know, was originally going to shows with my friends and then. You know, growing up in East Mesa, my parents were a little more free of like, yeah, you can go or doing things on our own, you know. And so I'd go to these shows by myself, like quickly. My friends couldn't all go because 
a lot of my friends when they were 16, it was like, oh, it was a big deal to get like, oh, it's a school night. Mm. And I, after I kept missing shows that I wanted to go to, cause I couldn't find friends to go to, I just started going on myself. And then, so by going to shows by myself as a 16 year old, mm. I met other people who would go to shows and be sort of became my social network mm -hmm, mm -hmm. became very different from, you know, when you're 16, your friends are all whoever you go to school with, right. you know? Right. And I started getting two different sets of friends. I mean, friends that I went to shows with because they like going to all those shows. Yeah. And my friends that were school friends and, you know, I did right. different things with them. And, but my friends in bands at high school didn't know anyone in the scene. They didn't know anyone at venues. They didn't know anyone in other bands. And, you know, I started like trying to help my friends get on shows and well, <laughs> honestly wasn't any good at it. And I, I remember just hounding Scott who used to book modified at the time. Like, can I get this band on the show? No. Can it? And, and this huh. is like, wasn't doing email. This is phone calls, you know, right, at the right. time, like, can I just call and like have to call modified and prickly learn that you called before a certain time. No one was there. Cause <laughs> you know, no shit now. But, uh, uh, Say worst way to get a show now. Call the Rebel Lounge. You will not get booked because we do not listen to those messages uh, <laughs> for that stuff. But at the time, that's how you did it. Right. And right. you know, after being persistent and calling him a number of times, he's like, "Look, I'm not going to book these bands on these shows, but I can give you a Friday night, and you can book you can book all do whatever do you, you want. want." And I, yeah. so I call my friends. They're like, "They won't, they told me no on the show you want to play, but." They gave me this Friday. Do you want to play? And my friends were like, yeah, let's do it. Wow. And so it was that DIY. Yeah. Like that was one of the things that drew me to it was, it was like, there was no veneer over those bands. It's just like, right. yeah, that's a dude playing guitar and he gets to go be in a band. Like there's no right polish or veneer that there is in pop of, you know, it's so raw and, you know, and then some friends were like, can we do another show? And I was like, I'll call and I see. Yeah, yeah, I, don't, me, I don't know. Let me see if I can get uh, him on the phone. <laughs> you know, like, can we play with this band? I'm like, I'll call him. You know, I don't know. I know. I'll, I'll call the guy, <laughs> you know, and would call other local bands. They're like, hey, do you want to do a show on this night with this? And it was just that simple. Yeah. But it was, it was that DIY spirit. I mean, that was, it was yeah. so punk rock. Like, I had no ambition to be part of the music scene or music business. I was just mm. booking my friends' bands, and it was just, or, you know yeah it was just that simple yeah yeah yeah. what were some of the those venues that you would go to as a kid i mean i'm, I'm assuming that most of them aren't around anymore oh but. some of them i mean the nile was a big one where is There's that a, i'm not the, familiar the, with niles it. and mesa okay so and they had two rooms or still do that you know now they call the basement the underground at the time we called it the base nile basement but so it's the under the underground that's like the 200 cap dungy punk rock basement the upper theater that holds like 900 people oh shit like it's yeah. a proper yeah it's a it's a big room huh uh that's out in mesa right on main street that was a big one in high school and i grew up in east mesa so that was like the closest one and that was kind of at the time where all the cool punk rock shit pop punk and punk rock shows were going to see newfound glory and the ataris when yeah. you know they were just starting uh modified arts we talked about downtown uh some, a lot of places that are closed anita's hideaway yeah. bash on ash is closed there's a place the green room in tempe that's closed um yeah just kind of all the smaller clubs and then obviously uh the mason jar which is mm -hmm. now uh the rebel lounge your spot yeah how do <sighs> how do you think those those punk rooms because it had a lower ticket price how, how did they stay open was it just qu quantity i mean it's the same i mean it's the same struggle now i mean it is yeah, yeah it is you gotta be a little leaner and you know fill the calendar yeah you know it's a struggle yeah. very low margin but right. very slim low mark 
Like how? Never. Like how? And and they would do it without a bar, which is well. Some of them did. Some of them had bars, and some yeah. didn't. Nile was all ages, so they didn't. The modified was all ages, they didn't. Need as I had away was at a bar, so that you know there's. Right. I remember you know there's so many shows where like I couldn't go to because they were 21 plus and right. You know, now in retrospect, I realized I was probably like the only kid under 21 who wanted to go to some of those shows, <laughs> and the, you know the reason it wasn't all ages is because no one else like me wanted to go to that. Right. Um, but. Yeah, you would go to Bash and Ash. You would go to Nita's. These are legendary clubs in Tempe that that are and no longer eventually here. book it. Oh, right, it. no shit. Yeah, I was going to them first, and then gradually started. And Charlie Levy, who owns Crescent Ballroom and Valley Bar, and originally opened Van Buren, he was booking Nita's Hideaway at the time. He was no the buyer, kidding. so it was like two hundred. And they were like a two hundred cap room, so a little smaller than. Or, uh, who remembers it exactly but yeah. basically rebel lounge sort of size valley bar size mm-hmm. and then they would do shows in the parking lot every once in a while like i saw jimmy world there and some other shows um you know and i remember again same thing i was calling i was calling nita's and hoping to get charlie and be like oh he's not in leave a message he would never call that and then like <laughs> eventually call me back and you know let me do some shows there and you know it was like me just I need to get a hold of Charlie. <laughs> you yeah. know, and that was how I got to know him. And then, you know, a friend's band wanted to do their CD release show there. And he's like, it's a Friday. Like, I got to have the bar do well. And was so paranoid about because I had never really thought about that, mm-hmm. you know, as I was like, booking shows at Modify. No one says, what does the bar going to do? Right. And even some of the venues where I was booking it that had bars weren't really the desired room. So they were just stoked to have a show. Interesting. It wasn't as linear. And he was just like, if I'm giving you a Friday, the bar's got to do well. Yeah. Like, I know you're doing all these kid shows at Modify. Like, you got to the bar and we were like so paranoid and the bar crushed and he called me like the next he wasn't at the show of course and the next monday like called me he's like yeah anytime you want to do a show like you're like yep. you know and it like just you know did some good shows there and then that's you know zigzag for years and eventually ended up working for him but and and this is the original nita's which was the original yeah the original lo- old one location is, yeah is now where tempe marketplace is so i think mm. like target's probably on top of or something or best buy <laughs> one of those you know this is right there on rio salado where <laughs> It was right between a porn store and a scrapyard because that's where that venue worked in between the porn, you know, it's not in a good part of town. It's next to the porn (laughs) store and the scrapyard, which is why it was like kind of awesome. And, you know, but I saw Death Cab for Cutie there and Dismemberment playing there and Bright Eyes on like the 200 cap room. And and what record was Death Cab promoting? Do you remember? I mean, it um, couldn't have been Transatlanticism. Cause before were, that, yeah. like two records before that yeah. or something. I mean, there's songs with guitars or... or I, I don't remember their album. I'm so yeah. bad with album names. I'm yeah. so bad. Uh, yeah, but I remember, you know, I bought... It was actually Death Cab for Cutie and the Dismemberment Plan. Dismemberment And I bought a t-shirt from Ben Gibbard because he was selling merch because there's That's four funny. dudes in a van. I mean, yeah. they're... It wasn't sold. It wasn't a busy show, so there maybe a hundred people there or something, maybe wow. two hundred. I don't know. Uh, wow. It was that early, and remember talking to Ben and bought a T-shirt, and it said it was the Death and Dismemberment Tour, which was like the most <laughs> hardcore sounding name for a tour that's like the most mellow, pleasant music ever. And I just something about the name of that tour I still remember because it's the Death and Dismemberment Tour. That's so funny. And yeah, it's so the exact op. Right. You right, know. Right. Uh, so all right. Yeah. So let's fast forward a little bit. Uh, you get in front of Charlie. Charlie starts stateside. Yeah, and you start as a as a one of the talent buyers for stateside. No, I never actually wasn't a talent buyer for stateside until Crescent. Never really was a talent buyer for Crescent. So it started very gradually. Like Charlie would call me and be like, "Hey, can you work door the show for me? I need someone to work door for one of my shows." Or huh. then uh, he would call me about some bands. Like, "Hey, do you have?" an idea of who can open this like oh interesting i need a local and i i was doing more he didn't 
after Nita, you know, sort of in between Nita's and Crescent, which is like 10 years or something. I was something. just going to say that. that and it's like a decade in between yeah. those or something. He was just promoting shows and just national wasn't doing as much local. So he'd, he, I mean, he obviously had lots of local ties and, but sometimes if it was especially something newer, he'd call me like, Hey, do you have a good idea for this? And so I'd give him some ideas and, or I would call him and say, Hey, can you get this band on the show? And maybe he did or didn't, uh, yeah. you know, and then he'd call me and I was doing a lot of graphic design for me. Just like, Hey, can you make a flyer for this show? Cause they didn't send him some, mm. you know, he had a graphic designer working. I don't remember who, who would kind of do some basic stuff, but he, you know, if they would send the ad mat, he could put the venue name on the ad mat, but then he was mm-hmm. like, Hey, I need something original for this. Can you do it? So, mm. you know, and it just kind of zigzagged until all the little things, you know, that, Hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do this? eventually turned into a job like originally it was all just sort of gig work like mm-hmm. can you help you know and then he was living in tucson for a while so it was like hey can you run this show because it's not gotcha. his bigger stuff he would drive up for but it's like hey i'm doing the show at modified can you just be there and pay settle and pay the bands and so it just sort of evolved into me working for him and at the whole time i was doing my own shows too so mm-hmm. I, I was still doing psycho steve presents. Psycho steve, yeah. yeah still doing psycho steve which was just me as a one-person operation at that point Hmm. You know, and so I was doing my shows and then so eventually was working for stateside. And then when Crescent opened, I wasn't really the talent buyer for stateside. I was doing the local stuff for Crescent. So mm-hmm. I do, you know, and originally I was doing all the marketing. For, by this point, I was doing all of the marketing for stateside, was doing all the graphic design for stateside. And then when Crescent opened, was doing all the local booking for uh, stateside mm-hmm. And when he opened Stateside, there was four of us. It was chart before, I mean, before Crescent opened, it was Jeremiah who does, uh, did President Gator and still works for Stateside. Uh, uh, Lindsay, me, and Charlie, you know, we're mm-hmm. the, that was the four of us in this little wow. office that's the size of this room. Yeah. Wow. You know, and then he opened Crescent and it expanded and, you know, ended up having to quit all those jobs for Charlie because more, not because I didn't like those jobs, not because I didn't like working for Charlie. But because my like the conflict between my shows were growing and it was like, well, I only have so many hours in the day. I can either focus on my shows or I can focus on Charlie's shows. And mm-hmm. it's starting to be a real big conflict in time. Mm-hmm. And it was like one something's got to give here. And so and so even that whole time, like I did shows at Crescent both as my shows at Crescent mm-hmm. and booking shows for Charlie at Crescent. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So it kind of. You know, we still do lots of shows. I still do lots of shows at both those venues with him, so we still do shows all the time. Yeah. So and 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 uh, Rebel Lounge. Like, w- when did the idea to to get that um, property and start and have a brick and mortar? Well, uh, well, before Crescent opened, me and my business partner uh, now, my now business partner on Rebel Chucky Duff, we were looking to do a venue, and we were looking to do this is like 2010 ish looking to do a venue and I wanted to do like a 500 cap with like a bar in front kind of vibe. Uh, cause this was when club, the clubhouse was kind of really the only alternative and it just wasn't that good of a venue. And I remember just, the clubhouse. It worked for some <laughs> things. It was a cool punk rock room, but it didn't work for indie rock or, hmm. you know, it was a divey. It was a large dive bar. Yeah. Um, and we we're like, there is a need for a room this size. And so me and Chucky went around and we were looking at a lot of different rooms and, didn't get that far into it because we were going and looking at places and we were looking at a place on Roosevelt that we actually looked at what's now the Nash. Uh Uh, We were going to do that building. Uh, We're looking at that. And then we found out Charlie was doing Crescent. And so when we found out Charlie was doing Crescent, it was like, well, that's, 
That's he's that's filling the niche. Right. He's filling the niche. Right. And there's no way we're going to be able to compete. Like he's ahead. He's he's right. doing this. This is happening. We're six months or a year behind him. Well, I'm just going to work with Charlie on this because he's doing the niche that I want to do. And right. so it didn't make sense to do it. And then when I had, after like a year of uh, doing stuff independent, just my own shows after I left Crescent and States, I mean, I was still sharing an office. With yeah. him. I was still intertwined is crazy. But uh, Chucky called me up and there'd be like a New Times article is going around that the Mason jar was up for sale again. Um, you know, the the Anvil, the bar that was in there, uh, gay bar had moved out and it was sitting empty. And Chucky called me kind of out of the blue and said, what do you think about this? This makes sense, doesn't it? And, you know, kind of there's a number that was floating around online of what they was asking for. And everyone's like, that's insane. And Chucky's like, that's a good deal on the real estates. I mean, just mm-hmm. for the land, right. the value is a good deal. Um, we should go do this. Um or, or if you want to, we should go do this. Uh, and, you know, then we kind of looked in. We kind of walked away from that deal a couple of times because, you know, just it's kind of crazy. And we're like, are we going to do this or not? And then we did. Uh, finally, it kind of made sense on paper, sort of. And, <laughs> and, and, and barely. And what year was that? We opened in 2015. So we probably started working on it about a year before that. And, like, there was some on and offs. And so. Yeah. Sort of middle of 14, we started looking at it. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, so we opened 2015. So we just celebrated eight years at Rebel, which is insane. Nice. Yeah. And do you know, like, how many shows have you, do you know, like, the n- total number of shows you've done there? Um, I mean, we're booked. I mean, we do more than 360 a year just because the number of nights we do double shows. Mm-hmm. There's more nights we do two shows than there are nights we do no shows. So, oh. uh, you know, minus COVID. But between Rebel and Psycho Steve Presents, we probably produced somewhere around 700 concerts last year. Wow. Is yeah. that is that back kind of to normal numbers pre-COVID? Oh, I mean, the business is crazier than ever. Like, more, yeah. way more shows than pre-COVID. You know, some of that's just Psycho Steve Presents has just been continuing to grow. And so, yeah, so we're doing more shows now than we were pre-COVID. And, and so it's every year, is, every year has grown the yeah. number of events we do. And if you were to if you were to say pick a genre of music that psycho steve presents presents what would it be um indie rock would be the, the yeah. really all things guitar so the the two genres we don't really dabble in are edm and hip hop mm-hmm. but we do a little bit of country we do a little bit of metal we do pop we do we've even got a few k-pop shows coming up so hmm. kind of anything that's band driven um, we do some DJ nights, but not the real EDM. We ho- at Rebel we host quite a bit of hip hop, but it's always other promoters. Like it's the genre that I don't really know. Mm. I've always lived under a big philosophy of book what you know, mm. and you know what I knew when I first started was very limited to the few local bands I was friends with. And then as you know, twenty three years of doing this, what I know has expanded a mm-hmm. lot. But it's still loosely guitar driven mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and how how do you let's say as a talent buyer how do you stay current how how do you get information about new bands or are you scouring blogs honestly so much of it is inbound in its relationships and it's it's mm-hmm. age you know uh you know a lot of the stuff we do i don't 
honestly, sometimes when we get an email, hey, are you interested in this? And I've never heard of it when we get that email because we're getting it so early. You know, a lot of the shows we do at Rebel are shows where the artist has never toured before. You know, oh, when wow. the first, like, we're literally do shows where it's their first tour ever or they've opened one or two tours. And so, like, um, you know, it, it's trusting the people that are sending it. Like, there's mm. some people when they send me something, I know we're going to work on it hmm. just because I know their roster and I know what they're into and they know we're into it. You know, so we can start working on it before I even really listen to it. Sometimes, you know, we can yeah. get kind of far down the road, obviously try and listen to it, everything we do, but right. you know, uh, yeah, so it's a, it's personal, it's managers and agents and, you know, and that pool of personal relationships expanded. You know, we just did it, just did a Latin act, um, with an agent I never worked for because the manager is someone I do a lot of other bands with. And the manager was like, Oh, you're looking at Phoenix. You've got to call Steve. And it was an agent, you know, and kind of something that was a little, that was a little bit outside our realm and it was really cool. And, you know, but it's just that gradual years of that sure. kind of relationship. And, you know, it was an artist we never heard of. And we looked at it and said, this is kind of cool and neat. And I don't totally understand it, which is why it's cool and neat. Right. You know? And so that, it is a lot of personal, but I go to a lot of festivals. You know, I go to South by every year. Oh, no kidding. I try and go to different festivals all the time. So it's constantly seeing stuff, constantly seeing openers for shows where, oh, you know, when any, one of our show reps or bartenders, hey, this opener was really awesome. It's like, okay, we should look at bringing them back on their own. And, you know, so it's, it's what we do all day, every day is just, I can't even keep up with the inbound. I bet. You know, so. I bet. At this point, uh, occasionally we reach out on stuff, but very little of what we do is on the local side. There's a lot of reaching out like, Hey, we've got a Friday. Are you interested? Like mm -hmm. on the local stuff, there's a lot of us reaching out, mm -hmm. uh, on the national side, a huge percent of it is inbound. Mm -hmm. hmm. And a lot of it is the, the biggest one for my business, the psycho Steve presents business is the relationship of so many of the biggest shows we do are artists that we've worked with from when they weren't so right, right. we're working on we just announced men i trusted az financial theater what used to be comerica yeah it's the second show i'm a partner in there we booked them at rebel wow you know we booked them at crescent we booked them at van buren and now we're going to az fed Crazy. you know we've done it a number of mitski shows we sold last time we did mitski she sold out van buren the day it went on sale <laughs> <laughs> we booked Mitski three times at Rebel. Then we did Crescent. Then we went to Van Buren, Charlie Crockett. We oh, just wow. announced uh, to, or just announced yesterday the Front Bottoms at the Marquee. You, you know, the first Front Bottom show we did, we had 30, 40 people at it, you know, and then sold out Rhythm Room. And then we sold out Pub Rock. And then we sold out, the you know, we've done so many sold out yeah. shows with them over the last decade. But like, you know, that relationship's 10 years old because we booked them when no one else was interested. Right. And that continues to be the big business model of us is getting in with those artists before anyone else is, you know, I remember we used to, I used to do a lot of shows with Frank Turner and I remember one point when one of his albums was starting to really blow up and someone was like, dude, why hasn't Frank Turner ever played here? Like, and I'm like, I've booked him five times in Phoenix, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you just did, but it wasn't, you know, but right. it was like that sign of like, oh, but, I mean, but they'd been shows that modified. They'd been, you know, yeah. him opening like, you know, and then now we, you know, he's playing AZ Fed next time, uh, you know, does huge stuff. But like that sort of why isn't this artist played here? And it's like, what are you talking about? They played right. here, <laughs> you right. know? Right. So let's talk about 
how the Phoenix music scene has kind of come into its own because, as I mentioned before, I moved here 20 years ago and there weren't a ton of options in Phoenix for for bands, right? You had a couple different spots. Um, you know, maybe there was something at Paisley Violin um, or the, the Paper Heart was a venue that I used to play. Um, but we didn't have the, the selection and the quality of rooms 20 years ago. And now, as you say, you know, bands, you, you can start small, you know, and there's a room for every band, right? But what, w- what do you think the, the thing was that transformed or maybe took um, the attention away from, say, Tucson, where, you know, bands, let's say, coming from Southern California, they did the skip Phoenix, right? Because there just wasn't a I room or... The, uh, Lot to unpack there. Yeah, so, sorry. Uh, there's a thousand. There's a, <laughs> there's a bunch of different questions. <laughs> yeah. I'll address the last point. The Tucson always got a little, you know, yeah, some great show. There's definitely a period where a lot of great shows were going to Tucson. I always think that was a little overplayed. You look if if you look at like hip shows, eight out of ten went to Phoenix and two mm-hmm. out of ten, but you notice the one that didn't. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. every, like it's a little bit of selection bias where you don't remember the shows that you couldn't make that were in Phoenix, but you remember the one that you couldn't go to because it was in Tucson. Tucson. So there's a little bit of that. And yeah. one that's always frustrating in Arizona is I never get flexibility on dates artists need hmm. because the the just the geography of the Southwest, you're coming in and out of LA. Right. Every every show we do tour virtually every tour we do is coming in and out of LA. Huh. Uh the off day has to be after Phoenix because Phoenix to Texas, right? You, you can't do Phoenix to Austin in a day, so the, the, you can't flip around. When is the off day? The off day is on the Texas side, not the LA side. So we can't right. we can't push it back about. And then we're next to one of those market. We're next to LA, where the LA is like the first date that's getting confirmed. Like that's the anchor. Right. You're, that's you're the maximizing. LA, you know, if you've got an okay option in LA and a great option, or you've got an okay option and a great option in Phoenix, but they're conflicting, you're taking the great option in, in LA. LA. Right. And so it, the number of times it's like we get this show has to be on this date. Yeah. There's no flexibility. Yeah. And if there's not the option on that date, it doesn't play. It right. doesn't come. Where it's like if you're, I mean, the East Coast is the exact opposite of this, right. where like, there's six different options in Major Ohio. Major markets. In, o- yeah. in Ohio has fa- five right. big cities that are all an hour. You right. can flip Cleveland and Columbus right. very easily, and you're adding, oh, it's a two-hour backtrack. In Phoenix, it's a six-hour backtrack. Right. If you've got it, like, if you're replacing Phoenix and San Diego, it's like, well, we're not going to, right. you know, so right. a lot of it is geography on that. Yeah. Uh, I think people, if you're here, you don't think about how much the geography of plays what does and doesn't come in. Yeah. Because we're always sort of second, just the weird dynamics of the long drives on the West Coast. Right. Uh, Downtown Phoenix, like we were talking about, like I was doing shows downtown before you got here. (laughs) It started in 20 or 2000 at Modified. Right. right. Uh, And for a long time, it was like the weird, cool stuff would be downtown Mm -hmm. because it would be Modified and the little DIY and like. You could eventually the trunk space yeah, and all the trunk space. space that was the joint yeah, yeah you know you, you could do whatever because it didn't matter it was like yeah. it was this weird avant-garde right you could book these weird small bands that didn't have a huge audience because it was free very freeing in that whereas like a lot of the bigger venues in tempe and scottsdale you kind of had to have some sort of audience to go in there right you know there's some bigger rooms 
And for a long time, it was this weird dynamic where there's a little tiny shows downtown and there was the big gigantic shows. There was right. a, what was now AZ Financial, Dodge Theater, Dodge America. Theater, yeah. There was the arenas. There's the Orpheum. So the big right. A-list stuff was all downtown. But the club level, you had the Marquee or Cajun House or Scottsdale Tempe. Those are big, bigger and rooms, now, right? No, that's what I mean. Yeah. But like, it used to be that you had the little tiniest DIY stuff downtown. Right. Everything was in Tempe and Scottsdale. Right. And then it came back downtown when it was huge, right? Right. right. And when it came to the arena, now you're back downtown. And then right. now Phoenix really has the entire ladder where you can play the DIY show at Trunk Space. Right. Then you play Valley Bar. Then you play Crescent. Then you play Van Buren. Then you play AZ Fed. And, right. you know, uh, y- you can do the entire ladder within wa- all those venues being walking distance. And, like, went for until crescent really until crescent and van buren you know the three charlie's venues changed that for downtown phoenix completely take those three venues away and that dynamic isn't there right uh you know but then it just sort of you know some of it is just the evolve of you know downtown that crescent opened right at the right inflection point i remember when we first announced crescent when charlie first announced crescent and we were announcing all these cool shows down here I think the feedback would be probably 50-50 on people saying whether it would work or not. Like mm. 50% of people were like, finally a venue downtown. This is amazing. This is going to be a, like, this is genius. And then the other 50% of people I'd talk to be like, I thought Charlie was smarter than that. Why isn't he doing this in Tempe? Why is huh. Charlie going downtown? This is huh. dumb. Couldn't Charlie find a better spot? Like huh. probably 50% of the comments were wow. like, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Uh, you can't make a venue like this work downtown. And then the other half were like downtown or like, finally a venue down here. This right. is going to be great. By the time he opened Valley Bar a few years later, I didn't hear a single person saying that can't work in Phoenix. <laughs> when Van Buren opened, right. there wasn't a single person no. said that can't work in Phoenix because Crescent had proven it. Right. You know, right. So, well, um, and, and I guess, I guess my point was, you know, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't have a ton of options for small, like you had the, the micro shows, one, right. Anything from mid size wasn't there. Right. Right. So I feel like, you know, thankfully now we have all those rooms so you can capture artists at various stages and and there's flexibility then, there. If if Valley Bar sells out, let's maybe move them to Crescent, you know. So there's Yeah, there's that's some, the ladder we do all right. I mean, that's the ladder we do all the time is hey, we did this band at, you know, TV Girl, we did them at Trunk Space. Crazy. We did them at Trunk Space and sold out. We took it to Valley Bar, it sold out. I'm pretty sure there's a Rebel show in there somewhere sold out. Then we took it to Crescent, it sold out. And then we took it to Van Buren. It didn't sell out after COVID, but it was like right there. And we were just like, holy shit, the, the room's full. And then we just announced them a few weeks ago. They're coming back in December, sold out the day we went on sale, you know. And then it's awesome. we booked, you know, they had played Trunk Space a few times as a, you know, little DIY LA band. And then That's now awesome. they're selling out Van Buren in a day. And, you know, we were trying to, and again, this is, we were trying to add a, they added a second show to a bunch of the shows and like, we couldn't make the date work in Phoenix because uh, just the, you know, yeah. the, the, where they needed the off day was just that off day had to be an off day. Right. You know, and right. they had that tour blew out and they added a bunch of dates in other cities where they, you know, they're had doing some flexibility where they yeah. had some flexibility in Phoenix. They didn't have flexibility because the off day was a needed off day. Right. Louise, she just wasn't thinking when she climbed into his bed.
there's one artist that I watched do that when I was living in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. That that artist came and, and played this little um, barbecue restaurant that my old band used to play at. And then I think six months later, they played, I think it's Pearl Street, Northampton. That's probably mm-hmm. three, four hundred, maybe cap. And then the next time was the Mullen Center at UMass Amherst. And that's, you know, thousands and thousands of people. And that artist is John Mayer. I yeah. wa- in, in a year and a half, he went from the barbecue joint to the Mullen Center. And I've always been so amazed at that. But you just rattled mm-hmm. off like six bands that you've watched <laughs> from Trunk Space to Arizona Federal. I mean, it's like the same thing. No, it is. And, uh, interesting John Mayer story I heard because I've never been when he came up as this kind of mainstream and it was kind of yeah. not into, you know, didn't really, wasn't my thing. Yeah. Uh, but listen to an interesting interview he did that I think you'd find when he was like first starting, um, you know, he's getting a lot of feedback that his stage band, you know, is just stage present. Wasn't where it should be. Yeah. And like people were coming to see him and they're like, Oh, we liked your demo. And then we saw you and it just didn't work. <laughs> and so what he did is, he went and started doing comedy open mic nights, and he didn't want to be a comedian. He had no interest in being a comedian. He just but needed he to get ne- his shit together. He, he, he needed to get past the stage fright, needed to be able to like kind of talk into a mic and like, you know, yeah. but not have the songs be the crutch. Because like he was comfortable playing the songs. It was the in-between sort of banter, and yeah. he just didn't have the persona. And so, you know, he got offered something in, you know, something small, and he's like, no, I can't. That's Tuesday. I don't. I don't do shows on Tuesday or whatever. And they're like, what, why not? And he's like, Oh, it's open mic night. And it was, but it was that like <laughs> discipline of, he went every night and was just bombing because he, and he didn't want to be a comedian. He just right. wanted to like, but he realized like that was the piece that was missing. And then that, you know, now it's John Mayer, but he like sort of knew like, that's the piece I need to focus on because everyone likes the songs, but I just not comfortable talking into a mic. And so that's how he got comfortable into a mic was just forcing himself to go to these comedy open mic nights and bombing. Oh every night. <laughs> Uh, that's but, incredible. But was, I did not know that. Story. Yeah, I I thought it was really interesting. I mean, respect. Yeah, no. I mean, it's just sort of like, and it was sort of like he was getting the feedback that, right? You know, um, you know. I think there's a lot of stories, artist stories. We like telling these stories of the artists where you know they got turned down all these times. They got no one believed in it, whatever, and then they did something and it was a success. And I think something in this new era of I can just put my songs up right now. Some of that gatekeeping is what's create those great artists where, you right. know, if a major label would have signed him at that point, put out his song, he went on tour, wasn't very good. It would have gone nowhere. And he, we wouldn't be talking about him. Right. But that adversity of like, you're not good enough here. Go work on this and come back. Right. Is something that's missing from music right now because anyone can throw up their songs on TikTok. That song goes viral people come see it it sucks that artist is dead in the water right even though they had one song that went like crazy viral and like we're seeing this so much because that i think some of that adversity of that Mm -hmm. you know oh this song got rejected this song got rejected this song got rejected this song got rejected holy shit this song's amazing right you know and it's like and i think there's a little bit too much we take those negative stories and go like can you believe they turned this down and it's like yeah, if you heard this song that they turned down, you would agree. Right. And if you heard this song that made the artist famous, of course. Right. But it's all that hard work in the middle that the story leaves out. Right. You know, and everyone's like, oh, I stand by that decision of that demo sucked. That wasn't what I was looking for. Right. 
and then someone came out with the right song and it's that adversity to realize but but now everything gets thrown out online right away. that bad demo makes the internet right you know and right. it gets and everyone you know and some of that adversity you know yeah it's it w- come through that of like i gotta do better right and i think a lot of new artists are like well they didn't like my song they didn't appreciate it and it's like sounds yeah. like shit <laughs> yeah like go do better like go, that adversity i think right. it, there needs to be a level of tension and i think you know you go to the late 90s and i think there was too much ga- like radio uh-huh. was too formulaic right to what lane are you you don't fit perfectly in this lane so there's no room for you just kind of where indie rock and independent music kind of really boiled up because there were so many great things like the Jimmy Worlds and the Death Cab for Cuties and the Arcade Fires and, you know, the Wilco's that didn't have a place right. because there was too much gatekeeping. Right. You know. Or but, or, or f- trying to follow an algorithm. This worked before, well, so be more format. like this. Well, al- back then it was like the format. Like you right. had to fit, you know, there were a dozen radio formats and you had to fit perfectly in one right. of them. Yeah, like this is right for this. You need to be in this lane or in yeah. this lane. Well, that's you know, what I mean by of, algorithm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. But it, you had to fit that format. And right. if you were somewhere in between them, there wasn't a good home for you. Right. Whereas now, I think there's kind of a little bit. You know, and so in the 2000s, you get this algorithm. You know, this sort of change of all this independent stuff coming up because there's so much great stuff under there. Mm-hmm. And then now we've gone a little bit too far from the gatekeepers, where gatekeepers where Anyone can throw up the first song they ever wrote on TikTok. Right. If there's something weird or catchy or gimmicky and it can go viral and everyone's like, oh, this is going to be the next big thing. And it's like, I actually kind of feel bad for those artists because they're not given a chance to gig out. Right. You know, there's literally these artists where it's like they've got a billion streams before they've ever played a single show in front of somebody. Yes, exactly. They and then they go in their play, grandma's in their grandma's basement, and it's yeah. a huge hit. And they and they're like, "All right, go on tour now." Yeah, and, and like, like I don't know how to do that. There was a period when Little Nas X first came out. You know, Country Road, Old Time Road, or Country Road, the Old Country Road, something. Yeah, like that. whatever yeah. that song. Yeah, really neat song. He had one song, right? You know, and then he had a couple other songs that he had done since that one song. And there was a point where his agent was quoting a million dollars a show, but by the way, he can only do 15 minutes. <laughs> well, he's worth a million dollars a show. Uh, I mean, we're talking festival. Right? I mean, right. like, we want him to be a headliner on a festival. It's like, well, he can only do 15 minutes. And they're like, well, no, my festival, I need a headlining right. set. And he right. didn't have it. Crazy. You know, he didn't have, I mean, now he has, and now he's proven, like, he made that hump. And I see so many artists that are not making that hump right now because they didn't have enough diver. It, Adversity. adversity in front of them it right. was it was to too create, easy yeah yeah i know i was just talking to a manager dropped an act actually the, the act's first time ever performing in a real venue was at the rebel lounge because they sort of got discovered during COVID. song blew up during COVID. very young singer songwriter girl won't name for the story you know yeah. started to really blow up during COVID. first tour happened to start in phoenix you know real venue because they're doing like a showcasey kind of tour but then kind of did all these things. The manager just dropped him because the act doesn't want to do anything, you know, was turning down interview requests, was turning down promo materials, didn't want to do things. And it was like, and the manager just realized like all my other clients would kill, like Mm -hmm. artists in this space used to kill for these opportunities Mm -hmm. because this artist literally threw up a couple songs online. Jesus blew up on TikTok. is now toured and done a bunch of stuff, but the artist, you know, was spending all her time sitting on the bus complaining that touring was boring and it just didn't you know and it 
it, but it's that sort of like there needs to be a little bit of weeding out yeah. who doesn't doesn't have it. Yeah. And right now the pendulum has swung a little too far where I actually think it's a disservice to those artists, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, because that the first sign of adversity and it's like, Oh my God, right. This They're, isn't working. Throw your and hands it's like, up and, yeah. no one expects that the first three songs you write are going to be great. Right. Like why that's an expectation now that like, Oh, they wrote one good song and they're going to write 10 more. It's like they've written one song. Right. Right. Why do you think that the 10th one is going to be just as good? Right. When, you know, so there's this weird yeah. thing going on with that. Yeah. Back in a day when we were friends I haven't seen him for a year or so I heard him in and out some stony goes You suffer from a bleeding heart before we get into some of the really incredible work that you did during COVID, I had a, I have a question about what is <laughs> uh, what is the most interesting way a band has asked you to play at the Rebel Lounge, or or, or maybe just asked you to promote or to to find them a home, you know, like. Did you know back? You know back when EPKs were a thing. Okay, that's fine. But maybe there's some humor involved, and that that caught your attention. But is there is there one band where you're like, man, I wouldn't have listened to your thing had you not done this? Huh. That's a very interesting question. Um, I do remember like the first times ever getting. Uh, you said EPKs, but you know, physical press kits, like mm-hmm. before EPKs really started becoming a thing. Like I kind of just started doing shows at the tail end to where like, you know, I'd get these packages, uh, you know, at my parents' house in East Mesa <laughs> and for years afterwards. And there's this book called, uh, um, this thing called book your own fucking life, be what, <laughs> or whatever the acronym of that is. That was this like, used to be in the back of Maximum Rock and Roll, a punk rock magazine, and it was just a list of addresses of venues. I mean, this is pre-internet, huh. uh, or, yeah. you know, pre-what we now think of the internet. And so someone was like, when I first started booking touring shows in 2000, it was all, di- I mean, it was all, no agents, no managers, just DIY yeah. b- b- first-time bands. Yeah. And some friends were like, oh, you should call Steve when you're in Phoenix. And I, and then, like, you should put your, you know, and so I, like, think i had to write a letter to like add my name so i had psycho steve presents was in the last couple versions of book your own fucking life and i'd get press kits in the mail and i remember like the first time that like just out of the blue getting a press kit yeah uh it doesn't before epk and it was like a write-up a photo yeah and a a tape or whatever yeah Yeah. a burn cd because there was most you this is pre-youtube like this is pre-itunes like there was napster starting to be a thing but even that was started to do shows right when that started as a thing. So like you couldn't Google a, most right. bands didn't have websites. So right, like right. I do remember, or I don't remember any particular bands that I got that way, but I do remember, <laughs> you know, and I did book, I did book some bands. I got that way and I didn't book most of them, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. I can't think of anything, um, super that interesting. Uh, 
Well, uh, um, on the opposite side of the coin, then, how? What is the best, easiest way for bands to get in front of you to potentially book a show? Uh, if we're talking local bands and small bands, it's definitely sort of third. The the best way is when it's it's not coming from you, when it's coming from third pe- people. Mm-hmm. You know, normally you book headliner down. You know, and so mm-hmm. if I call you and say, "Hey, do you want to play this Friday?" And you say, hey, yeah, and it's like, do you have any ideas who you want? And you say, yeah, my buddy, I'd really like them to be the first of four or the first band. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, it's your show. Like, let's, you know, and so a lot gotcha. of the relationships on the local side start that way, mm-hmm. where it's coming through another band, through another promoter, through, you know, just people saying, I remember Playboy Man Baby, a bunch of people are like, hey, have you heard this band Playboy Man Baby? Have you heard this band? You know, and there was some <laughs> mm-hmm. real, like, people were talking about them. And so it kind of came up organically where there was, and then, you know, I did some of the very first, you know, Reverend was, it might even be pre Playboy man, baby, but Robbie was doing some DIY shows and was helping his helping with some shows. So a lot of times it is that like, I want to, you know, just emailing cold. Here's the email. Isn't necessarily the best, although that does sometimes work. Uh, I, I also think we get like two kind. I mean, I get emails all day long. Uh, and, you know, the two extremes don't really work of, I get emails that are like, yo, what's it take to get a date? Okay. I'm, you know, and it's one <laughs> sentence with typos and no link to music. And I'm like, I don't, I don't More know. This. Any, I don't know anything about this. I don't have time to respond to this email and I'm not going to, right. I'm not because I don't even want to open up the door of like back and forth right. of, okay, th- I don't have time for this. Right. Um, and then we get the other extreme extreme where it's like, oh my God, there's 10 pages of mm-hmm. all sorts of useless information. Who taught you to play guitar at age seven and all sorts of, you know, like mm-hmm. I, there, there's too much in here to get in there. Uh, so the really yeah. succinct. Yeah. This is who we are. This is what we're doing. This is the last cool thing we did. And this is what we want. Like the direct of, uh-huh. you know, asking about specific things, you know, it's unlikely that I'm going to give, a headlining slot on a Friday to someone I've never heard. If your email is the first time I'm ever seeing the name. Yeah. It's very unlikely that you're getting, we're just like, yeah, let's give you that Friday. Right. Unless there's something really compelling in there. Um, you know, it doesn't mean I have to work, have worked with you before, but it needs to be like, Oh, you just sold out Valley bar and you can't get the date you want. Okay. Let's try it here because I see, I know what you've just done. Uh, and so that really direct of, one, I always hate small bands saying, oh, it's really hard to describe our sound. No, it's fucking not. <laughs> no one who's ever said that was right. You know, am I, you know, are you a death metal band, a jazz band, or a hip hop act? Like, it's what are, clear. like, should what be. am I, like, I shouldn't have to guess right. what you're going for. <laughs> you, you know, or you list six influences that are all. Wait, your influences are John Mayer, Wu-Tang Clan, and Metallica. I don't even know how to process that. And I'm just going to... And then I listen to it, and it's like, oh, you sound like The Offspring. This doesn't sound like anything that you just listed. listed. You know, it's like what... We do a lot of different types of shows. And so, like, some sort of very clear, like, what is the vibe you're going for? Mm -hmm. You know, and, like, can it get more specific? And I'm not saying that, you know... But if you described, hey, I'm a local singer-songwriter, cool, I know how to process this. Right. Now, there's a very big umbrella that that fits under, and I know necessarily, right. I, know, I know you work with this kind of show, but that's not the kind, like, right. you know, but, like, 
you know, if you emailed me and said, my music's really hard to describe. I'm like, okay, well then I don't know what to do with it. You know, or it's like, say right. yeah, I'm a local singer songwriter. Okay. I've got a, you know, yeah. I'm not asking you to play the EDM rave. I'm not asking right. you to play the hip hop show. I got a singer songwriter now. Okay. I've now put two dots. Can I make this work? Right. But you, you know, <laughs> so being direct, like asking for specific shows, you know, I've got, I can think of a few people. They message me every time we announce a gigantic show and never anything that's not gigantic. Uh, you know, and it's like every time we announce a show that's going to sell out the Van Buren, hey, can we get on the show? It's like, you don't fit this show at all. Yeah. What? Like, and we never do shows together because you only ever ask to play the big giant show. Right. And, you know, I don't, A, I don't get control over those lineups very often at all. And if I do, it's going to go, the slot's going to go to someone we work with a lot. Right. You know, and right. so being specific what you're asking for you know, a compelling reason of what, you know, don't tell me why this show would be good for you. Tell me why you would be good for this show. Right. Right. Oh, we played with that band last time. All my fans really like that band. I think if we played this show, we could bring a lot of people because we're really into this. Okay. 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 Compelling. Okay. That, yes, your audience, you think your audience would like this show and you could bring it. Great. Right. You know, it's that sort of like, Yes, the sold-out show at Mesa Amphitheater would be a great show for your band. <laughs> your band would not be a great fit for that show, right, you know. Right. And so, uh, you know, the the further down you go on the list, the easier it is to get. You know, sometimes if you ask to play a small show on a Tuesday at Rebel, and I go, oh man, that's a show we've been struggling to find anyone that wants to play. You know, I'm always going to want to put someone on the show that wants to be on it versus not. So right. if you if I'm twisting your arm to play a show, and you're like, I don't know, I want to do this, but I want to, I want to keep Steve happy, but, I, but that show, I'm like, yeah, I don't really like that guy. And then someone else is like, dude, we'd love to play that show. It's like, which, who do I want on that right, show? Right. You know, and I, and it's also objective. You know, we do this all day long. Like, if you say you're not into a show, I'm not. I mean, okay, cool. We'll Moving we'll on. Move on. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to remember in a month that you turned down a show because you did. Oh, you're not into it. I would Ray rather you say no. I'm not into that show. I don't think it's a good fit. Yeah. Then play it, and then well, I didn't really promote it because I wasn't really into it. I'm like, well, then why didn't I get someone yeah. who is into it? Yeah. And so, like, some of that, like, you know. So succinct, mm -hmm. clear ask, and what a, a YouTube link or something? Or? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at all the same things a fan are like. What I'm looking for isn't different than what you should be doing. You know, like mm -hmm. you don't need to put out a cool YouTube video so that I see it. You need to put out a cool YouTube video so that your music's spreading on YouTube and people. Can, like I'm looking right. at the same things. I'm looking at your Spotify. I'm looking at your social media. Your, you know, don't make me have to search it. Right. You know, like put the link. And it's also advice if you're sending it out. Put the YouTube link for the cool new video that you're really proud of that just came out, so that I'm not googling it and find the first thing I find is the six year old cell phone video that's been on YouTube the longest. And right. is it that great? Right. And that's the first thing I watch because. I'm not going to spend 20 minutes Googling you if right. you sent me that kind of intro email. Going down the YouTube to, hole I'm of not, your you know, fucking I'm not getting to track demo. seven on right. Spotify <laughs> if there's some way. Like, send me to what, right. especially, like, some of these bands, their names are so hard to find. Like, especially when you're that early and you're just starting and you don't have a big online presence and a Google search of your name isn't going to turn up what you want. Right. You know, the big giant shows, like, you know, I can Google that and find... TV girl, I'm going to find their good stuff right away. Right. Let's talk about the very important work that you did uh, during COVID. Now, 
as a as a musician who makes his money performing that was a, obviously a very challenging time I, I wasn't allowed to do i wasn't capable of doing what not only you know keeps the lights on but um brings me joy and you as a venue owner you you saw a need and 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 i'm really uh proud of what you did if I, if I can be proud of what you did but I, I'm really thankful that your work uh, resulted in um, some very important things so if you can um, first tell me obviously the, the 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 first challenge of say March of 2020 or April of 2020 and then how you put together uh, Neva and save our stages and, and, and the very important work that you did to raise money and awareness for live music venues. Yeah, so we were uh, obviously the very first businesses and industry yeah. affected by the pandemic. Uh, we were the first to close and we were the last things to come back open. Um, and if you remember the first, I think the first time most Americans even heard COVID or we're paying attention to it. The first thing was South by Southwest canceling mm. and South by Southwest canceled because that has such an international, it was people were not able to travel here. People were worried about spreading it around the globe. That event is a truly international event mm -hmm. and a large public gathering, the worst thing in the pandemic. So South by was the first thing to close. And that's usually in April, right? It's March, March. So middle of March. Mm hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. So they canceled right around March 1st or right around March 1st, like two weeks because people, they had to cancel before With people got time. planes, right. before people get on planes to come from Australia or wherever right? Uh, or Japan or all these places. And so we immediately, that shook our world. Like that didn't really affect a lot of people that day. That day, my phone was just nonstop, my email of shows canceling, because so much of my march, we were talking about geography earlier, mm -hmm. so much of my march is always based around South By. I can tell mm -hmm. you the dates of South By a year out by what I'm holding mm -hmm. at Rebel, because artists are already looking that far out, mm -hmm. because you've got to route in and out of Texas. Right. Uh, so we were having shows canceled. We're having agents ask us what's going on in Phoenix, and this is before most small... I mean, granted, two weeks before, but this is before most small business owners had started even thinking about how is I was already watching my march just get destroyed, mm -hmm. uh, and had be I follow a lot of news, so I'd already kind of been paying attention of like this is bad. And I remember, I remember being at McDowell Mount, kind of giving you the long version of Let's this. Go. Uh, I remember being at McDowell Mountain Music Festival. Mm -hmm. They're like probably the last music festival in the world to play out in 2020 because they were March three and four, whatever that weekend was mm -hmm. three and four and South by had just canceled either the Wednesday or Thursday, uh, before McDowell was the weekend it, a day or two before. And I remember being at, at McDowell just like shell shock. I was like, why are we here? And everyone I was in like VIP section and everyone else is just like, Oh, isn't this great? Like South by, isn't that interesting? And I'm like, just like cold mm. face. Like, don't you know what's about to happen? Like, and I remember making the predict my prediction that I was telling everyone was if Coachella goes down too, every major concert and sporting event in America is going down. And everyone was like, you're crazy. Like that's not happening. Hmm. And I was like, dude, if Coachella goes down this week, everything goes down. Hmm. And I remember I saw one of the guys from the main who is there because some touring, but is there hanging out with some touring buddy that was working at McDowell 
and he's like, should we be here right now? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, they had just been in Europe. He had like just got back from Europe. And obviously it was a bigger thing in Europe at this point. And we were both just like, just like ghosts, you know, just Mm -hmm. like, I don't know if we should be in this field right now with people. Mm -hmm. Like, are we risking our lives? Like we already, and zero people I talked to, everyone was like, oh, isn't that interesting South by? And I'm like, don't you know what's about to happen? Mm -hmm. Uh, So then fast forward the next week, all that next week, it was when our cities, my world was when our cities showed out. I had an agent who called me twice a week, all that next week. Do I think his show on Friday and Saturday could play out? Mm. Uh, and Thursday night I call called him and like, yep, we we're looking good for the weekend, like Friday and Saturday called him back 20 minutes later, Saturday in Tucson's down, Tucson just shut down feet. And then we were like, he called me the next morning. Like the band is driving from San Diego. This is the only show of the tour. They really want to do it. Can we do the show? And I'm like, I think so, but I haven't heard anything. Otherwise mm. doesn't look like Phoenix is shutting down yet. And when the band got to ta- to Crescent, Told him, like, good news, Phoenix shuts down on Monday, <laughs> so mm-hmm. we can do the show tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. you, you know, because that was rocket. And then when, you know, Phoenix shut down, I guarantee 50% of people in Phoenix went, what? Where mm-hmm. did this come from? Right. Where we had been, that had been all my world for three weeks. Right. It had been dealing with this. So that day before Phoenix shut down, before Tucson shut down, and before Phoenix shut down, uh, there's this initiative called Independent Venue Week. Uh, that is kind of like trying to be record store day for venues. And they've done a few years. We were a part of it in 19. They hosted a, a Zoom town hall. It's the first time I had been on like a big Zoom call like that. Like that was, <laughs> I mean, remember how new that was. But this was March, I want to say 13th or whatever the Thursday before the whole world shut down. What day you pin right, the world right, shutting right, down. Right. Kind of a domino. That's funny. But yeah. they did a call. And it was to talk to some of the sand, uh, the Austin venues about what was, they were seeing in Austin because South by Southwest is the lifeblood of Austin's music scene. And when they lost South by, all those venues were just immediately knew they were fucked. Like, mm-hmm. they, just so bad for Austin. So they did this call and some of the venues, my buddy Steven Sternshine, who we would start Neva with, and some of the Cody Cowan uh, from there, who now is our COO at Neva, uh, they were on, they were telling us so what did they see in Austin when this happened and at this point most cities hadn't shut down I think Seattle was the only other city that had shut down at this point and I remember there was a lawyer on the call uh, who now represents me and a few things that Tim Epstein who was just like you guys are crazy you guys are so fucked like save every dollar mm-hmm. you you guys are about to be fucked and I remember getting off that call and got a bunch of calls and texts like dude that Tim guy was a downer. And I was like, Tim was the only guy on that call making sense. Mm. We're fucked. Mm. Uh, and then so later that day, Tucson shut down. The next day, Phoenix announced Monday was shutting down. And then we did that same call the next Thursday. We ended up doing that same call for like two years every mm. Thursday mm. of all the venues. And like the first time there was like 100 venues on the call. Then everyone kind of in our world because no one was talking about us. Mm. Everyone was talking about Oh, so that Thursday, Coachella and the NBA went down. Mm. And I was like, that's it. Coachella's down. Like, everything else is coming down. And sure enough, by Monday, the entire rest of the country, Coachella and the NBA went down on the same day. Mm. Uh, And so the next week, the first week, we had had like 100 venues on that call. And it was very informal. It was just like, let's get on a Zoom and talk about what we're seeing. The next week, there was like a few hundred venues on that call, and everyone's freaked out because everyone in our world had Mm. heard about it. No one was talking about it. And then we did a couple weeks of that call... Or no, like after that second call, 
I can't remember the exact timeline, but you know, a few of us on the side conversations are like, we need to do something because everyone's talking about why Coachella will be fine. Everyone's talking about why the NBA will be fine. No one is talking mm-hmm. about why we are fucked. And remember, this was the point where everyone was like, flat in the curve, it's going to be two weeks. Right. We all right. knew this is not two weeks. No. This is six months at best. Yeah. Our venue, the venues are not going to be able to go six months with zero revenue and huge overhead. Like, right. it's not possible. Right. There is no live streaming for a venue. You as right. an artist can go stream. Like, I mean, even at that point, none of us thought of that stuff. But, and so there are a few handful of conversations of like, we need to start telling our story because everyone was talking about why live nation will be fine. Why Coachella will be fine while the NBA will be fine. And mm-hmm. yeah, they all were able to last the pandemic and would have been able to, um, but no one was talking about the small side of the scale. Mm-hmm. And so a few people, we started forming this organization that would eventually we'd call Neva. I somehow ended, there was about two dozen of us that started to form this we did a vote for the board. Somehow I ended up on the board. So there were five of us original board members uh, to start a nonprofit group. And we didn't even know what they were like. We didn't know what we were forming. We knew we started to start a nonprofit. Ended up being a 501c6, which is what a trade association or a union is. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be distinct from a 501c3, that's a nonprofit. nonprofit yeah. We've now since started a nonprofit, the foundation that to do the nonprofit side. And uh, started hiring... Uh, our now board member, then uh, communications director, Audrey Fick Schaefer, was in D.C. And Dana, our board president, who owns First Avenue in Minneapolis. Dana called Audrey and said, can you help us find a lobby? You're in D.C. Do you know any lobbyists? Can you help us find a lobbyist? Mm. Luckily, uh, Audrey's previous work had been in government affairs and communications for in telecom. Before she was at music, she works at the 930 Club in, mm-hmm. in D.C. Mm. Uh Oh my god, what a badass Audrey Fick Schaefer is! Uh, uh, Shout just, out, it, he, oh my god, learned so much from her. <laughs> uh, just huge music fan. Uh, but and so they started doing interviews for some lobbyists. Uh, I helped find like we need to find someone to support this financially because no, the whole point is none of us are. Everyone's trying to save money. No venue right. is going to donate money to this. So we're all fucked. <laughs> and so we got a couple of the ticketing companies. My buddy Chris Donahue, who's then at C Tickets and Boris from C Tickets, uh, Etix and Light, all came in to put the initial seed money so that we could start something. And then our first Thursday call in April, so I think our fourth Thursday in a row, doing we announced we're starting this association. Here's the link to sign up as a venue. In the first week, we signed up 500 venues across all 50 states and DC. I remember our week one week in we had two states that weren't covered and by the end of the call we covered we no had members kidding. in all 50 states wow. hired this big law for or er, uh uh big lobbying firm in dc called aiken gump oh my god were they incredible they're one of the biggest firms in dc uh and we kind of chose not to go we interviewed a bunch of the traditional arts sort of nonprofit lobbying group, some of the groups that represented some of the other arts organizations. And we realized this is during Trump years, right? It's going to need to be in a bipartisan bill. We need the biggest, best, most expensive lobbyists we can find, yeah. not some of the traditional arts ones right. who've represented traditional arts causes. And then, yeah. And then we started a, started the save our stages campaign was our public facing campaign yeah. to raise awareness 
for the plight of music venues and tell our story in Congress and the press because no one was thinking about us. And that first stimulus round where PPP was part of the first one, there was nothing for venues and it wasn't designed well for us. Like PPP, if you remember, was all about keeping your employees. You had to spend most of the money on employees. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're a venue and you're shut down, that's not your big, that's, I can't keep my employees a, because there's nothing for them to do. And we're at 0% revenue. We're not, 20% 20% down. Right. We're not 10% right. down. We're not having everyone work from home and adding some expense. We are closed. Right. And PPP didn't work for a lot of, it was really badly designed for us. And we're like, we are the most affected mm-hmm. and we're the least helped. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of our big one. And we started pushing for age, save our stages was the public campaign. We were pushing a couple different pro business bills for what ended up being the second stimulus. The, sep- the second CARES Act. Uh, and we we launched this grassroots. We we did go hire a big lobbying firm, but we didn't have big money. We didn't mm-hmm. weren't making lots of political contributions. We weren't doing right. those DC games because we right. couldn't. Right. We were doing old school call your congressman. D and to the I to it the was fucking totally. Y. <laughs> and, and we had this huge advantage of we were in all 50 states. Right, right. For, a lot of small trade associations do not have representation like that. Right. So we were in every major city. We had members in every major city. And we had we came up with a very clear message of Save Our Stages. And we're very clear we need aid now. And just managed to hold all these venues. So we had every venue's email list, every venue's social media. Eventually did this big artist letter where we got hundreds of artists to sign on. We had hundreds of artists, you know, sharing that message. And I remember there was one point through our through the Save Our Stages website, you could go in and fill in some basic. You put your zip code and your email address, and it would automatically, you know, and could type an email message, which you could either do the message we pre-program or rewrite yours, but it would email your three members of your member of Congress and mm. your senators. And we had had just under a million people do that. We were like 50,000 people away from a million and we'd been doing this for like a month and we were pushing it and we were like, we've got to get to a million so we can make a big press release that we've sent a million emails mm-hmm. to Congress. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the association came out with a press release that they had done 50,000 emails to Congress representing every restaurant in America. And we were like, wait, they did a press release at 50,000. <laughs> we're like busting our ass to get to a the million, million right. emails sent to con or people, a million people emailing right. Congress. Right. Uh, and uh, we're like, Oh wait, that's where the bar is, you know? <laughs> and uh, I remember there was one day where Spotify agreed. They messaged every Spotify user from one of six artists. And it was a personal message from that artist to go to save our stages and send this oh, email. Wow. And, the food we sent one from the Foo Fighters. It you know came from the Foo Fighters voice. Lady Gaga did one. Can't remember who the other six are, but it was a big hip hop. Like it was across. Yeah. The, I can't remember the other ones, but I remember the Foo Fighters and Lady Gaga. This is so much happened that year that it's fun. And every Spotify user in America got an email about Save Our Stages wow. from an art. You know from, right, from an, an artist, artist that they that, that, that they, they love that yeah. they listen to. Yeah. And Congress freaked the fuck out of what, like every congressman was calling our lobbyists and calling us going, what just happened today? Because they couldn't like, and these are the inboxes where every single, every single group that email your congressman, like right. how many people are saying email your congress on a day? And for them all to notice like what happened today, of like Something, what, what yeah. drove this? 
you know, today, I mean, this is middle of 2020, like they're getting a million emails from everybody and they know like yeah. that cut through so much. And it was because of spot of, and it was because when the Foo Fighters asked the Foo Fighters fans to go email the fans yeah. and all you have to do is it put right. in my email and hit enter. And that's all right. I got to do. Uh, but it was so grassroots and that's what every member of Congress saw was how grassroots this was. And yeah. one of the ones was like immediately, it's like, none of us know a lot of people in DC, but operating a venue, you like, is inherently you got to deal with a lot of local politics. Well, who are a lot of our national politics are people who are tied. They may not know a lot of venues, but they know the ones in their district. Right. So, you know, immediately when we started, it was very easy for me to get a call with Greg Stanton and Ruben Gallego. Immediately. We're like, we get it. We huh. see what these venues mean to Phoenix. Wow. We know what Crescent ball, you know, Greg Stanton and was mayor when Crescent Ballroom opened, right. you know, he was a big supporter of Viva Phoenix and Lost Lake, kind of knew the import. like, it wasn't hard to tell them the, the importance of what sure. these venues mean to their city. Right. Uh, Mark Kelly, when he became our senator, remember this is an election leading up, so he wasn't senator yet, but he helped lead the fundraising. Uh, Gabby Giffords and Mark Kelly have always been big supporters of the Rialto Theater down in Tucson. Sure. And they're bat la the Rialto's a nonprofit. Their last big fundraising campaign Mark Kelly was the chairman of their fundraising campaign. This is before he was a senator. And so all these members of Congress and senators have these ties to their right. local. They do events in their local right. venues. And like exactly. all these venues are like, well, I don't know many, but this congressman, they always do their events in my venue. Like I can call them and get that first one. So we were able to like tie it. And I remember, and we were, wow. we managed to keep this movement completely bipartisan, non-political, mm. wasn't a, was political, but it wasn't partisan. Keeping a advocacy campaign nonpartisan during the 2020 election was Jesus. almost impossible. No, because everyone was trying to pull us to one side or the other. Sure, and obviously being music people, a lot of us lean one side. One side, but <laughs> we were like, that is our message is nonpartisan. Right. Uh, and I remember there was a, a a very MAGA congressman, and I can't remember where. And we were trying to like get to the local venues. They're like, we need you guys on this call. And this is all Zooms. We can't even do it in person because this <laughs> is all 2020 and everyone's in their bubbles and all that. And we were telling this venue and somewhere, you know, mid middle America venue, like you've got to do this call. And he's like, yeah, this is this MAGA guy. He's never going to support this. Like what your waste. Mm -hmm. And we're like, we need to leave no start untold. Gets on the call with this guy's chief. of It wasn't the congressman. It was the chief of staff. And the chief of staff was like, oh, no, I, I totally know your venue. I wear the T-shirt all the time. My son's band used to, <laughs> like, when my son was in high school, yeah, his he high school band used yeah. to play your venue all the time. And yeah. we're talking about a Rebel Lounge type venue. And just, like, that was the start of the call. And he's like, what do you guys need? Like, oh. Oh, we want to support it. And that was one of the first, like, Republicans to sign on to the bill, you know, yeah. was this super MAGA guy who the chief of staff got it. Wow. That this isn't a political partisan issue. Right. You know, and so eventually that turned into Save a Stages Act, which was led by Senator John Cornyn from Texas with A.B. Klobuchar from uh, Minnesota. You know, one of the most conservative and one of the most liberal politicians. Yeah. We had both. And it was completely bipartisan throughout the whole process. Like, I mean, it's I, not it's it not, hard to keep it that way. It, well, and, and, it, and bro, it's not it's not that surprising. Music is the great equalizer. Everyone on any side of the spectrum still enjoys music. Well, and it's and it's that live where that was. I mean, we were tracking down what artist does this congressman listen to. That's funny. And we got uh, Pitbull to do a car with <laughs> call with Marco Rubio. 
we got meatloaf we got meatloaf to do a call with senator kennedy in oh louisiana you know and it, it, you know but with Cornyn, it was all these honky tonks in texas and yeah. it was like this the other one for for venues in the live side of the business the live side of the business yeah. you know hollywood has its you know liberal reputation broadway has its liberal reputation right but you know if you're senator martha blackburn from tennessee Broadway has a reputation. The Ryman means something. Right. And so all these middle of America congressmen and senators was like, we're not talking about saving Hollywood. Huh. Or, or, yeah. You know, the labels. Right. We're talking about saving the Ryman Theater in uh, Nashville. And we're talking right. about these honky tonks in Texas. And, you know, all the honky tonks we're calling, like, this is us too. And so, like, whatever niche you're into, Crazy. It, it's, it's, there's something there. And so it's incredible. Yeah. And so we it did. It really is incredible. Uh, to, you know, I remember there was one point where we were like, this bill's going to pass by 4th of July. We've got, and we are just building momentum. We're just starting to get the emails going. We're just starting to get the campaign. Just July like, of 2020. We were hoping to get this bill passed by then because it was like, I mean, that's months. That's yeah. Months for a group that didn't exist. I, it's crazy. For a cause that didn't exist. Right. You know, we weren't, you know, we haven't been, you know, some of these other industry trade associations, especially even in music, I mean, ASCAP has been long, ASCAP has been advocating in DC for performers since before recorded music. Yeah. They predate recorded music advocating for artists. Yeah. You know, some of the other, the Grammy Association, or all these ones that were super supportive of us, but all these other organizations that have existed forever yeah. who are all clamoring for what they need, and we didn't even exist in March of 2020. <laughs> Uh, what you guys did in months mm. is yeah, but we were trying for July. We we're like, we're not on the map yet, and if this bill doesn't pass, like if this like everyone's like, there's going to be one more stimulus bill, and there may not be a third. And right. we're like, if we don't get in this bill, we're not. We won't be it. recognized. Yeah, we yeah, may yeah. never. We're not going to last long enough. To, and then right. it ended up taking until December because of 2020 politics. Wasn't until after the election, uh, which just also made it October. Fall 2020 was so hard because I, there were, I was getting so many calls from music venues who were calling and saying, I can hold down a few more months, but only if I know this is passing. Mm -hmm. Like, is this going to happen? Right. Like, or not? And we're going, I don't know. Let me tell you where we're at, but I can't promise you one way or the other. But people are like, I can sell my, I can empty my retirement account. I can sell mm -hmm. my car. Mm -hmm. If I, I can, if, I, if, if there's I a know, light, if right. there's a light right. or do I pull the plug and right. close my venue? And right. all of us at the board, you know, the leadership at Neva, there's this huge grassroots of, it was hundreds of volunteers who are all out of work, venue right. owners, pr promoters. employees, yeah. promoters, marketing people, talent buyers, a lot of just staff who are just volunteering. Like, yeah. Hey, my venue's closed and I was the box office person. Can I help? And hmm. it, all these volunteers helping, but uh, yeah, and then I remember there was a point where there's a Democratic bill that didn't pass before the election called the Heroes Act, and the Save Our Stages Act got passed in, was like included mm. in that bill that passed the House, which didn't end up passing the Senate and didn't become law. But and then suddenly everyone turned and went, You got in that? Like <laughs> it just was this big sign that like mm. all these other groups that were pushing their bills, and we we're by far not one of the bigger ones. We're not hmm. one of the, but we were one of, we, and from that point on, we were like, you know, all these big bills in Congress, 80% of it 
is kind of agreed upon. And then we in the news hear about the five to 20 percent that Republicans and Democrats are fighting about. Mm -hmm. But the bulk of the bill is kind of boring and everyone kind of consensus agrees. And from that point, it was like, oh, we're in this. Hmm. If a stimulus passes, we're kind of default now in this. Wow. And all these other groups suddenly. Uh, so originally it was just music venues and talent agencies and promoters. Uh, and then as soon as it passed in the Heroes Act, everyone else was like, well, we want to get part of that bill. And so <laughs> it ended up expanding and becoming movie theaters got in there. Um, Museum, uh, museum, museum, yeah. museum, zoos, and aquariums, although they had to have port public performance areas as part of it. Hmm. So not every museum, there's sort of like a caveat of what counts as a museum. Right. Um, it, you know, to get part of this funding had to not just be your collection or something. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. And really a lot of other groups were trying to get in there and didn't. And it was, you know, very, all very political. Right. But yeah. And then it ended up save our stages act passed as part of that cares act. And it's the wow. largest public funding of the arts in American history. It was $16.5 billion. Wow. To put that in perspective, at the time, the NEA, the National Endowment of the Arts, their annual budget is $160 million that they wow. spread to arts organizations. Jesus. So we got a hundred times that <laughs> in direct aid. Uh, it was a small a grant through the Small Business Association that got rebranded uh, the Shuttered Venue Operators Grant. And how many venues benefited from your work? Uh, venues, uh, so 13,000 uh, entities got aid. Mm -hmm. That's across the board. It was somewhere just under 14,000 organizations. Mm -hmm. um, under that umbrella that under, you just described. Yeah, museums, museums or whatever. all that. Yeah. So it's just under 14,000. And one of the other interesting ones about this bill that was our insistence from the beginning is it went to small businesses, nonprofit organizations, and municipally owned venues. So think hmm. Mesa Art Center or Gamage Auditor, hmm. ones that are owned by semi-government. Tempe Center for the Arts. Tempe or Center yeah. for the Arts. So yeah. all the arts organizations got it too. Yeah. Uh, it's the first time ever... Fun, government funds have flown through the SBA, the Small Business Association, to other government agencies. Never happened before. Hmm. But we were like, our category is these spaces, not uh, right, not a tax status. And right. you know the difference between the Orpheum Theater in Phoenix, the Marquee Theater, and the Rialto. To a fan, there's probably not much of a difference. I mean, obviously, you know what goes in them, but but the tax status is totally different. One right. of those is a, a small business, right. one of those is a nonprofit, and one of those is municipally owned, but they were all going through the exact same problem. Hmm. And so mm -hmm. a lot of wrangling to keep this, what started as a small business bill, but we're insistent from day one of our membership includes all of these things. Yeah. They're all in the same thing. And mm -hmm. I'm so impressed. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, uh, it it was a lot of work. I mean, there was a, a huge team of there's probably 300 volunteers who were putting in significant time every day, or in mm. some of those ranging from a part time to full time, and there were dozens and dozens of people who were working like full time on this initiative, Crazy. all almost all for free. Oh. Obviously, we had lawyers and lobbyists and other you know people around that were getting paid but right. you know the volunteers were all unpaid myself included uh well and it's inc really incredible yeah it, and what to the point you made at this the start of this conversation talking about you 
one of the biggest, our biggest argument, or the two things is one, we didn't go out and make an arts argument. Mm-hmm. It, this was a small business mm. economic driver was our argument. Um, and lots of people were trying to pull us into sort of traditional arts sort of arguments and like, that doesn't fly in middle America. That do- isn't going to mm-hmm. fly with Trump or John Cornyn or that sort of audience. Like this is a business argument. Mm. This is what do we do for our communities? Mm. But to the public also is like, what do we do for artists? Like where are artists without these small venues? And mm-hmm. it's one that every artist hits because every artist remembers those small venues that they, even the, all the massive ones right. remember sure. those venues. that got them their start. They all have that tie to it. David Grohl yeah. definitely remembers the nine thirty club in DC. You he know. just opened, uh, they just opened a new venue called the Atlantis open last week. Actually. Really? Uh, it's a 450 cap in DC. It's literally right next to the new nine thir- or the current nine thirty club. But it's a replica of the original 930 Club. Whoa. And the first show was the Foo Fighters. Oh, see? And so they did a big event that last week. Yeah. Because uh, him and Ni- Dave Grohl and Seth, who owns the 930 Club, yeah. their history goes back to before Nirvana. Right. Like, they've right. known each other since before Nirvana. Yeah, when, when uh, he was playing in punk bands and yeah, fucking off and, as a kid. You know? And the singer from his old band, Scream, came up and did a... They did... I no forgot what they did a cover... Uh, together with the guy that he was in the band with before awesome. Nirvana. <laughs> but yeah, but so one of the other ones when we first were trying to get artists to on board with, because there's everyone in 2020 was we were calling artists. Yeah. Well, no, but everyone was calling the bigger, the, the bigger artists saying, Hey, help my cause. Can you help spread my message? Mm. Cause everyone was, I mean, that was the climate was everyone was begging for help mm-hmm. in 2020. Everyone was begging for people to be in their cause. And when we first started going to artists, again, we were a group that didn't exist mm. a month before. And we we're going to artists and agents saying, support us. And we we're going, and everyone else who already has relationships with those artists, and they're going, what, what, who are you, what are you doing? Mm. Uh, one interesting observation I made early on, it was all the big comedians who were the first to get on board. Like Jon Stewart and Colbert and Fallon and mm. uh, all the big comedians immediately got it. And one of the things I realized is like, there is a different relationships a lot of comedians have with venues that a lot of even artists don't in the sense mm. that like an artist is one or a comedians, a one person band. Like they're more, more right. like you or, you know, as, as a solo artist more where they all have that relationship with the venues. Whereas a lot of bands are like, I don't know. I play guitar. My singer booked it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, so mm. every comedian has that relationship. And also, Small venues are such a big part of the creative part of for for comedians where like you look at a Jay-Z or a Metallica. Do they need to go to small venues like they I'm sure they go do some some underplays here and there. But comedians, even the biggest comedians going to that comedy club, to that yeah. tiny dive yeah. to work out material yep. is such a big they, part of their creative. They process. still do it. They still do it. Right. You can walk into a, a, a venue with 100 seats and Dave Chappelle will walk in, right? You and know, because, it out. because he's right. like, uh, you know, because he wants to work shit out. And so, like, there's a little bit different of that A-list comedian to that venue. Yeah. And you know, they settle their shows themselves. They're like, obviously, they have agents and manners and stuff. But like, a lot of times, comedians walking into a venue by himself, like, hey, I just flew in, I walked in, okay, cool. Like, there, there's right. no, there's no middlemen between a venue where it's like big artists, like. You know, right. Taylor Swift isn't talking to the venue. She's got people talking to the venue. Right. You know, it's like comedians. It's a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were some of the, I mean, obviously a lot of other artists all got it, but like they were just ones where it was immediately 
we just noticed all the comedians said yes right away. Like, hmm. they got it. Hmm. The artist's a little bit more gatekeeping to get... And most of them was like the gate... When we were talking about gatekeepers earlier, or gatekeeping is the gatekeepers to get to the artist. As soon as the artist got to the message, then it was like, yes, we support this. But mm-hmm. there's, there's a little bit of how do we get the artist to hear the mess? And then once it started going and it became yeah. a thing, it you know snowballed. It really is I- incredible. Steven, I, I really appreciate your time and your insight and, and, you know, I appreciate your work as, as a venue owner and a supporter of live music and obviously all the stuff, uh, the save our stages and, and Neva, it's really incredible what you, what you did in, in a moment, in a moment where it was rather bleak, uh, for, uh, there was a lot of bleak in that time. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. And it, it wasn't just. I was just one of, it was a large yeah. group of us and I was definitely very central to it, you know, uh, definitely in the senior leadership in that moment for sure. But, you know, it was a lot of people. And I said, one of the hardest things for, for me during that period was just how up and down emotionally was, where it was yeah. like every day was this like amazing highs and terrible lows. Like yeah. every single email was this venue just closed and then the next email would be like, the senator just signed on. And yeah. then the next thing would be, there's this bad news story. And then like every day was just jumping up and down between yeah. these really crazy highs of, oh my God, the senator just signed on to this bill. And then right. devastating. And obviously all the news everyone else was hearing. So it was a very weird time. I appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate Thank- you having me. Thanks for coming over and sharing your story and encourage uh, folks. I've had the the honor of, of playing... Uh, the Rebel Lounge uh, Many stage. Shows. Yep. And uh, would would gladly do it again. Uh, you do we have you on anything coming up right now? No. We no. need to change We need that. to fix that. No, let's fix that. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> you could have been like, I'm playing on Saturday, dude. And I'll be like, I don't, oh, are you? Okay. I'm playing tonight. <laughs> I, I can't remember anything unless I'm looking at it these days. Because right. it's like the number of shows like off the top of my head. Because it's like... I know where to find the info. It's in my account. Like right. I stare at it all day, but like that Google phenomenon of like, I know where the info is, but right. like off the top of my head. Well, <laughs> I, I encourage folks to, to go support uh, your great local stage at the rebel lounge and um, continued success. I'm, I'm glad to hear that things are kind of back and, and booming and, and more shows than you can possibly even attend. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a good problem to have. There's some good problems these days. All things uh, considered, it's it's a lot more work, but it's also you know a lot of cool shows happening. Yeah, very good time to be a live music fan. Yeah, there's so much, so much great live music right now. Right now, yeah, I'm so excited on new music right now. Good. Well, uh, hope to see you soon. Thanks again for your time. Yeah, and uh, and I'm sure I'll be uh, I'll be a fan running around the Rebel Lounge very soon. Sweet. Sweet.